Would you please find in your Bibles the Old Testament book of Judges? We're going to be looking at chapter 16 today. Judges in chapter 16. Good to see you today. Thank you so much to our choir. Didn't say it last week, but you might want to mark this Sunday and last Sunday. Write it down in your journal. But uh, the first time that we've had choir fill the choir loft in a year and a half. So we are glad that they're back. And uh, they doubled from last week. We know they're going to continue to grow. So uh, if you want to be part of the choir show up Wednesday night, I'm sure they'll be glad to have you to be a part of that. Today we are partaking uh, of the Lord's Supper today toward the end of our service. And uh, we want everybody to be prepared. You are prepared if you're here in the service physically. We're going to be spiritually prepared. Use this time to prepare our hearts today. And already the Lord is helping us with this as well. If you are at home today, we know that there are many still watching us live stream. And some who perhaps have gone back to live stream. And we want you to be prepared. We encourage you to also. You've got time as well. And uh, you can participate in the Lord's Supper today. Uh, juice and cookies that you might find, or juice and crackers, excuse me, cookies if you don't have crackers, I guess, but uh, or water and bread, uh, milk and a wafer, probably any of those things symbolizing our time at the end of the service, you have time to be prepared and ready for that. But this today is the Word of God that we'll be reading, Judges chapter 16, keep your Bibles open, we'll be looking at other passages closer surrounding these as well, but we're going to begin in verse 15, Judges chapter 16 and verse 15. Would you stand if you're able in honor of the reading of God's Word today? And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times. You've not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he's told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made them sleep on her knees. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. The Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Pick up at verse 28, same chapter. Chapter 16 and verse 28 says, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested. And he leaned his weight against him, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords, upon the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down, took him and brought him up, and buried him between Zorah and Ashtael at the tomb of Manoah his father. He had judged Israel twenty years. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word, and you may be seated. 
When I was a kid, we had an evangelist come to our church and he was billed or he was advertised as the world's strongest man. And I remember, I'm pretty sure I was sitting on the very first row as he came. And I don't remember all of the message, but I do remember that he talked about Jesus somewhere during that time. He actually took a two-penny nail and he nailed it into a two-inch board with his bare hands. He probably did some other things, but I do remember at one point toward the end of the service, he called all of the deacons to come up and he put them, uh, they all sat down on a table made for this particular occasion. And he, again, I remember the dozen or so deacons perhaps all sitting on that table. He gets up under the table and he picks them up and he carries them from one side of the stage to the other. And uh, I feel like there ought to be a deacon joke in here somewhere. Feel free to insert your own. But uh, he had me convinced. That was 50 years ago, and he had me convinced as a 7- or 8-year-old kid he was the world's strongest man. Now, some time has passed. He may not be anymore. But I'm convinced after reading these four chapters, and we've been looking at Samson now for the last three weeks, and we've been part of a bigger series this summer called Stepping Up and All Others Are Stepping Down. I'm convinced that Samson was the world's strongest man at this time, in this period of time. Thus, the world's strongest man is speaking to you today by the way of the text and by the way of the word of the Lord. And we're going to learn from Samson himself about stepping up when everyone else is stepping down. Another thing about this time that the world's strongest man came to our church when I was a kid was that I decided after seeing him, hearing him and watching him speak, I decided that when I grew up, I wanted to be the world's strongest man. Much in the same way that when I saw the first moon landing, that I wanted to be an astronaut and then an NBA player and then a uh, Major League Baseball player. And then I heard a great preacher say, well, one can still dare to dream. Today, after hearing about from the world's strongest man today, if all goes well and from the leading and prompting of the Holy Spirit... You may not want to be the world's strongest man today, but surely you will want to be like the one who is our creator and our savior and our sustainer and the only hope for the world today. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior and Lord, or maybe you're listening today and you're not sure that you have a home in heaven or that Jesus is in your heart today, may it be today that you are ready to call upon Jesus to make Jesus your savior and Lord. And you can be sure He, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is at work today to give you strength of character, to give you strength of spirit, sustain you in these present days, and to give you uh, hope for for today and a bright future as well for all those who place their faith in Him. So, we welcome today the world's strongest man to teach us about Jesus. How can Samson teach us about Jesus? After all, he's from the Old Testament 3,000 years ago. Besides all that, if you know anything about Samson at all, he hardly resembled anything like a godly superhero. His life seemed to be characterized by weakness for the women, revenge, and putting himself first rather than ever actually thinking about others or even seemingly very few times even thought about God in his life. One of the few benefits that we have about knowing about Samson perhaps today has to do with churches when sometimes maybe they have a fall festival and they ask kids to dress up. They refuse to have Halloween, but they have the fall festival and they ask kids to dress up like super, like uh, Bible characters. Now I want to tell you, probably only a, and please pardon this, but probably only a female 
children's director asked the kids to dress up like Bible characters because they're thinking of the girls, how they love to dress up like an angel or Mary or Queen Esther. But hardly any boy wants to dress up at Halloween or for a fall festival like an angel or even a super or even a shepherd. But we do have Samson the strong man who is a Bible character and he often is a winner. So maybe the story of Samson is in the Bible for all those future fall festivals where the rule is to dress as a Bible character. No, I'm pretty sure it has to be more than that. As a reminder, this is the period of the judges. We've looked at several of the judges this summer, and this will actually conclude our series on stepping up when all others are stepping down, and we'll conclude our little series within the series, I guess, about uh, uh, Superman versus the King of Kings. The period of the judges was a dark time spiritually. Moses was dead. Joshua was dead. The Israelites had come in and they've taken over much of the promised land, but not all. The promised land also known as the land of Canaan. And the generation who knew Joshua, even after Joshua died, they continued to follow God. In fact, this is one of those highlights of the history of Israel, of all those who knew Joshua. But the next generation or the next generations hardly did the same. This began a cycle of disobedience and following after other gods and the forsaking of Jehovah or Yahweh, God who saved them from the Egyptian slavery. Time and time again, they would worship idols and they would worship other gods from other nations, some of the nations that were living in the land of Canaan, some of the nations that were living surrounding the land of Canaan. Thus, we find that God allowed and often orchestrated some of these nations to come and to begin to oppress and even call Israelites into slavery. It would often be the case, not always, particularly not during the time of Samson, they would call out to God, and God would raise up a deliverer known as a judge to rescue the people. We've talked about seven or eight of these judges already. Only two of these we would think of as perhaps uh, godly judges who seem to be submissive to God in all or most areas. Deborah was one, Othniel was the other. The rest had all major character or flaws and moral issues. Guess which one of the judges was the worst? Samson. Now, nothing wrong with dressing up your son like Samson if they've got to dress up as a Bible character. You just know that he's not the best model to follow. And that's why he's here today. He wants to tell you not to follow his example, at least not the majority of his lifetime. And thus this first message from Samson, if you're taking and you're watching in your notes, and there may be several there that you want to write down or to remember, but the first one is this, don't be like me, be like Jesus. Now, the messages from Samson today are in light of all that he might know from his past mistakes that he would want you to learn what not to do and what you should be doing as a follower of the Lord Jesus. Samson has a clear call on his life to be the next judge and the next deliverer of Israel. His parents knew it before he was born. God had placed the Nazarite vow on him before he was born. We didn't even know that was the kind of thing that you could do to someone before they're born, but God did it. He was not to drink strong drink. He was not to touch a dead body or cut his hair his whole life. And these were to be symbolic that he was being set apart, holy unto the Lord. But before it's over, he has violated all three, though as we read just a moment ago, he had helped getting his hair cut by those who were out to harm him. Earlier, 
in his life, we find that him consorting with the enemy. He wandered into the Philistine territory. He spotted a Philistine woman whom he decided he loved her even before he talked to her. He had his parents help to arrange the marriage. Early exploits as Samson tearing a lion into pieces with his bare hands. At the wedding feast, he bets his 30 Philistine companions they cannot solve a riddle having to do with a lion and some honey he found later in the carcass of the lion. They cannot solve the riddle. So they threaten the life of his new wife and her family during the seven-day wedding feast to tell the answer. After much crying and coaxing, he finally gives the answer to his new wife who tells the Philistines the answer to the riddle. So he must pay off the bet which consisted of 30 sets of clothes, an inner layer and an outer layer. In anger, Samson goes further into Philistine territory. And he slays 30 of the enemy, takes their clothes, gives them to the 30 Philistines at the wedding party. Now let there be no misunderstanding. Samson was born to fight the Philistines. If you look back at Judges chapter 13 and verse 5, you find these words. To his mother, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now let's not miss the fact that the Spirit of God rushed on Samson time after time in the story and gave him strength to do what he was to do because he was to fight the Philistines who had been oppressing God's people for 40 years. The Lord tells his parents prophetic words. He will begin to save them from the Philistines, begin to save Israel. Not if he does certain things, not if he's a good boy, not even if he submits to me in all things. This is going to happen. And even though he is not submissive to God, he does not seem to be aware that his strength even comes from God. And if its parents told him, and I'm sure that he did, that they did, it doesn't really seem to register with him most of his life. Or he doesn't seem to even remember. Now let's tell the truth. You've heard it many times. God is in control. God's got this. He's the source of all power and strength. If anything good happens in life, it's from Jesus. But we forget to give Him credit all the time. Let me remind you that, God, that Samson began to save Israel from the Philistines. Now the Philistines would not be conquered until the time of David. You remember David even as a boy fought the Philistine giant Goliath. Boy, it's just the beginning of David's battle with the Philistines. Well, Samson's killing of the 30 Philistines would be just the beginning of his battle with the Philistines. And though it was self-motivated, his fighting the Philistines to follow be out of anger and revenge, wrong motives, all of them. It might sound bizarre, but he was still doing God's work. Now, that's no more crazy or no more godlike than that God might would use the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar or the pagan king, uh, Persian king Artaxerxes or even the reluctant prophet Jonah or a talking donkey to get his work done. But Samson, he's got a word for you today. As he comes before you by way of the word of God, he wants to tell you this. God can use anyone he chooses to accomplish his work but He chooses to use you, a willing follower of Jesus. It's a message from Santa. Now, let's do this. Let's hit some of the highlights of the things that continue to happen in His life. Judges 
15, Samson goes back to the land of the Philistines sort of to maybe get back his wife, maybe even to win her back after he has been gone. And he carries with him a young goat as a gift. Now, take note, men, that if you want to win your woman back or maybe to impress her or make up for something, maybe try a young goat. It'd be less expensive probably than roses these days. And her father says, we thought you hated her. Maybe because he told the Philistines the answer to the riddle. He said, I gave her to your best man. Now, that's probably not what usually happens at the end of a wedding or at the wedding. Of course, unless it's a lifetime movie or something. And the father says, I have another daughter. Take her. She's hotter than my other daughter. Okay, he didn't say that. He said, she's more beautiful. But that did not appease Samson. Judges chapter 15 and verse 13. This is what Samson said. Samson said to them, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. But what does that sound like? Revenge. You gave away my wife? I'll show you. If you do not know the story, you probably would be thinking uh, and wondering, what is he going to do next? You know, it's kind of like that movie to where somebody has done something to the wrong person and you know they're going to get them back and you know it's going to be big, but you don't know exactly. You know that movie. Well, it's like a thousand movies. Well, you, you got to hand it to Samson, though. He is creative and he is not lazy. Judges chapter 15, 1 lets us know that it's harvest time. So here Samson goes out and he catches 300 foxes. Some of the translations say that he caught 300 jackals, same word as used. And he ties their tails together and he puts a torch between each pair and he lets them loose among the stalks that are standing among those that have already been harvested. Thus he sets fire fire to all the Philistines' uh, uh, fields and all that has been harvested. He burns up. And when the Philistines find out it was Samson, and they find out that it was because his wife's or ex-wife's father had given her him, given her to another. Well, they burned down the house of that father and the wife and the family all together. And this is Samson's response. Judges chapter 15, 7 through 8. It says this, And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Edom. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. He said, I'll avenge the killing of my wife and family, then I'll quit, if you will. And he strikes them hip and thigh. Kind of a wrestling term for total victory. Some of your translations may that he may say that he, they struck them viciously or with fury. In Peterson's paraphrase of the message, it says he tore them limb from limb. From limb. Feel free to use your imagination. Is everybody okay so far? Should, I, should we have given warning or some kind of rating here? Well, Samson goes to the cave at the rock of Edom, E-T-A-M, in Judah. I don't believe he was hiding. I don't believe he was fearful, but... Meanwhile, because of what Samson has done, the Philistines set up camp to go to war with the Israelites. And the Philistines raid the Jewish town of Lehi because of Samson. What do the men of Judah do? What do the Israelites do? Well, they gather together 3,000 men, Israelite, God's people, and they go find Samson. And it seems to me the most unusual request from 3,000 of God's people. It seems like they would have said, 
Samson, you're the strongest man in the world. Would you pick up deacons on a table and carry them to the other side of the platform? No, I said, you, you're the strongest man in the world. Would you lead us to victory against our enemies and oppressors? But that's not what they asked, was it? Judges chapter 15, verses 11 and 12 said, The 3,000 of the men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Do you know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is it that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, we, We've come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourself. Samson did not want to have to go to battle or fight his brethren. I actually think that Samson was thinking of a Trojan horse kind of a thing. Go ahead and tie me up and put me in the middle of the enemy and we'll see what happens. Can you tell I kind of like Samson? I mean, even with his self-motivated, ungodly ways, you ever run across lost or unchurched people or even church folk and you think to yourself, oh, listen, because of how nice they are or maybe because of their talent or influence, you think if, ever, if Jesus ever gets hold of them they'll, and they submit to the Lord, oh, great things will happen. You ever thought about that for, about somebody? Well, might could be said about you. might could be said about me. Well, Samson may have a message for us today, one he learned from the people of Judah who were more concerned with keeping the peace than doing the work of God. And this might be Samson's message for us today. Peace at all costs is not real peace. Peace at all costs is not real peace. One of the fruits of the Spirit is peace. It is the peace of God or the peace that surpasses all understanding. That kind of peace is an attribute it's what happens when we have a growing relationship with Jesus or that we are stepping up and living for Him. If you want to be at peace with the world or peace with the enemy, never speak the truth. Do not live a godly life before others. Never mention the cross of Christ or that you're a sold-out follower of Jesus. You might, you might not rock anybody's boat and you may be able to be at peace with them. But you'll not experience the real and genuine peace of God. Our goal is not peace at all costs. Remember, our enemy is not flesh and blood. But our goal is to not peace at all costs, but it is to know the Prince of Peace. And at, and at times that will stir up things. It is to be able to serve Him. Shh! Don't be too loud about Jesus. It might stir things up. It might rock the boat. It might not make the rest of the world happy. But God was looking to stir things up. And He was doing it even through Samson. Samson agreed that he could be tied up with two new ropes. Oh, and he looked extra secure. And when he came to the Philistine camp, and if you, as we read it, it sounds like he came in alone. It doesn't sound like the men of Judah took him there. So maybe he's tied up everywhere, but to be able to walk, and as he comes in, the Bible tells us that all the Philistines began to run at him and they were shouting at him. And I want you to picture the scene because I picture the scene of Samson waiting maybe for just the right moment, maybe just when they get close enough. And the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him again and the ropes melted off. And Samson picks up the jawbone of a donkey and he strikes down 1,000 Philistines by himself with the help of God. He's not motivated by anything but revenge and payback. If you'd left me alone, he said, I'd leave you alone. The 3,000 men of Judah, they're not to be found. Now, 
Think of what could have happened had Samson been followed by the Israeli army. He fights alone and God gives him victory. Be careful though before you call him a godly superhero. After the, the, after the battle is complete, he is exhausted and thirsty and sure he's going to die of thirst. And for the first time in Scripture, maybe because he really thinks he's going to die of thirst, after all, the battle took everything out of him. For the first time, he prays and he reaches out to God. Judges chapter 15, verses 18 and 19 says, And he was thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You've granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall to the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called En Hakor. It is at Lehi to this day, En Hakor, meaning the spring of him who called. Well, surely as we read this, we think of Moses and the Israelites more than once who were thirsty and called upon God and God provided the water. Surely it's also a reminder of the New Testament words of Jesus. And there's going to be more than one message from Jesus because we know that He's present today and always speaking to us. But it's a reminder. Jesus is telling us, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And if you're taking notes, you may want to put these words in the blank as the message that Jesus would want to tell you today. They're toward the bottom of the page. There may be some others. It may be some things that you're hearing today that are not on the screen, but that you may want to say, this is what Samson would say. This is what Jesus is telling me today. But this, I believe, is what Jesus wants to tell you today, that whatever you're longing, whatever you're craving, whatever it is your heart's desire, whatever you're looking for, the world will not quench your thirst. Only Jesus can. Judges chapter 15 actually ends with Samson being the judge of Israel for 20 years. What is he did as a judge, we do not know because all of the other judges that are mentioned, they spent at least most of their, some of their time freeing the Israelites from their oppressors or the rule by other nations. That doesn't happen here. And Samson did not seek God or find what he was longing for in the land of Judah. For after some time, we find that he is in Gaza, another city of the Philistines. Now, according to the Bible, the first trip, he came to the city of Timnah, which was a city of the Philistines, used to belong to the Israelites, four miles in enemy territory. But now we find that he has gone even deeper. Gaza's 40 miles deep inside pagan land. And he's not there on a mission trip. He's not there on God's behalf. For verse 1 of chapter 16 says that there he found a prostitute. Listen, take one step outside of the will of God, and if you are not keeping yourself in check according to the Holy Spirit, and if you are not in repentance and true repentance, you're likely to go deeper and deeper and farther away from God. And by this time, Samson must have been known far and wide. He cannot get away from the paparazzi. The men of Gaza, of Gaza they, they know he's there, and all the men of Gaza have surrounded him. The gate is locked and bolted. They barred the gate and they got him, so they think. And they've surrounded him at night. They're going to wait till daybreak to make their move until he comes out the next morning. But Samson doesn't wait at midnight. He storms the gate and he picks up the gate. He breaks off the gate, pulls down the gate to the city, the bar, the lock, and all. 
and carries it away to the foothills on the front of Hebron many miles away. Sometime after this, he meets another woman. This one you've heard of, Delilah. She's not of the best sort of women. Most girls, most good girls are probably not going to dress up as Delilah at the fall festival. She's thought to be a Philistine, though we're not told for sure. She's in this relationship for what she can get out of it for herself. Now, the rulers of the Philistines, they approach Delilah, Delilah and they tell her that they will give her, each one would give her 1,100 pieces of silver each if she will seduce him and get him to tell her the secret of his strength. How much is 1,100 pieces of silver? Well, maybe you've got a study Bible that maybe gives an estimate. You know, it's hard to tell today, but probably several thousand dollars multiplied by however many lords or rulers there might be that were willing to give. So Delilah was in for a substantial amount of wealth if she could pull this off. But she's going to have to work for it. By the way, when you picture Samson... How do you picture him? Bulging muscles and sculpted frame, much like your pastor. He said in jest, of course. You probably don't picture him as the scrawny, wiry little guy like Barney Fife or Pee Wee Herman, though that's much more like your pastor. The, The reason I ask is nobody goes up to Dwayne Johnson the Rock asking him what makes him so strong. I mean, just take a look at him. May I submit to you that Samson may have just looked like an ordinary guy whom God gave supernatural strength. That's why they knew there had to be a secret. Let's find out the secret. And Delilah had to go through several attempts and questions to find out the truth. Each time she had the Philistines waiting to attack, and as soon as she found out the truth, she was ready to put it into action. He told three lies and a truth. Bowstring from a tendon of an animal he told her first was his kryptonite. Bind me with these and I cannot get loose. So she tied him up and she called out the signal, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He immediately broke out of the bowstrings and the Philistines must have fled. Not to be deterred, Delilah tried again. This time he said, try new ropes. She must not have known all the story because new ropes had already been tried. Same result. The third time he came really close to telling what he thought was the truth. Weave my hair and pin it and pull it really tight and I will lose all my strength. So while he was asleep, she weaved his hair, put it in a pin, pulled it tight. He woke up, pulled his hair out of the weave. All the enemies fled. But after many days of pleading, he told her, I have not cut my hair since I was born. It's part of my vow to God. One of the few times that he mentions God up to this point except in the prayer. And he says, if my hair is cut off, I will lose my strength and be as weak as any other man. We read it a moment ago, but let's read it again. Judges chapter 16, verses 19 and 20. She had made him sleep on her knees. She's in, he's asleep in her lap. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And he said, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and he said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Maybe the saddest word, certainly in the book of Judges, if not all of the Bible, the Lord had left him. 
Then the Philistines came and they subdued him. They gouged out his eyes, put shackles on him, and he spent his days grounding at the mill in prison as a slave. Samson's here today by way of the word. He's got this message for you. He wants you to be sure to hear it. Warning. Temptation looks desirable. But because of sin, I lost my strength, my sight, my testimony, my purpose in the presence of God. I always worry about lost people who are in an audience to where somebody gives a testimony and they talk about how much fun they had until they met Jesus. Because we know true joy and true satisfaction only comes in Jesus. Even if sin brings delight for a time, that time will be limited and it leads to destruction. Let there be no misunderstanding. Samson's long hair was symbolic of his vow to the Lord, as weak as that vow was, but his strength came from the Lord. And now, his hair was gone, and so was the presence of the Lord. But for all who are in Christ, all who've placed their faith in the grace of God, no matter what you do, no matter what happens in this world, we have this promise for all those who are in Christ, and this is the word from Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In fact, let this be the central theme of our time together. Do not be like Samson who considered himself privileged or entitled because of who he was. Instead, may this serve as your greatest incentive because he'll never leave you, never forsake you. If you're a child of God, may it serve as the greatest incentive to humbly serve the one who died for you. In a moment, we'll be partaking of communion and partaking of the Lord's Supper. We'll remember what Christ has done for us and the promise that He's given us, the covenant that He's made, that because of what Christ has done, that He's taken our place on the cross and rose again, we know that we never need to fear. We can put our faith and hope in Him. Meanwhile, Philistines are celebrating because they've captured the enemy. The only one of God's people who fought against them in the last 40 years, though He did it for all the wrong reasons. And they have a celebration and a sacrifice to their God, Dagon, whom they thought had given them victory. And for sport and entertainment, with all the people who are present, they call for Samson to come and be in the palace and stand between the pillars. And so secure are they that Samson is no threat. He's being led around by a boy. Judges chapter 16, verse 26 says this, And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house is full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. And then Samson cries out for the second time in Scripture. Second prayer that he is recorded by Samson. Verse 30 reads, chapter 16 and verse 30, And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords, upon all the people who were in it, so that the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Why would the Lord grant this petition from Samson after all that he'd done? Well, it certainly could be because it was intended for Samson to begin to stir the battle with the Philistines that would end in David. But it could also be, and I want you to consider this, it could also be that after he has his eyes gouged out, he's being used as a slave at the mill to ground. It could be during that time that he spent some time in personal prayer and repentance. 
There's many arguments the other way. But it is because of this in the New Testament book of Hebrews and Hebrews chapter 11. When it gives the list of all those who in the Old Testament had followed God by faith, guess whose name is listed? Samson. I don't find any other place to where he showed much faith. But we find in the New Testament, perhaps here's a place to where God had granted his request and Samson had showed faith in the true and living God. One more message Samson has for us. The Lord did more through me after one prayer than I did all my life. Samson reminds us even what we think we do on our own or when we forget God, how much more God can do when we submit ourselves to Him. And Jesus has a message, as He always does. Jesus has a message for us in light of what Samson has said and what Samson has told us. In John chapter 16, He's speaking to all who are Christ followers. He says, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. I told you about the uh, world's strongest man coming as an evangelist to our church when I was a kid. His name was Paul Anderson. Paul Anderson was, uh, boy, when he was a kid, he was a sickly kid from Toccoa, Georgia, and he became a weightlifter. He was five foot nine inches tall, 350 pounds. His thighs were 36 inches around. He kind of looked like a mini giant, if that's possible. Got his first break in 1955 at the World Weightlifting Championship in Moscow. American champion could not make it, so he was called in at the last minute. Didn't even have a, United, a U.S. uniform to go and to compete. Well, the well-chiseled, tall champion from Moscow had just uh, lifted his personal best of 330 and a half pounds in the two-hand press. Paul Anderson was next. He told the officials, put on 402 pounds. 402.4 pounds, 20 pounds over the world record. The 15,000 people in attendance, most of them Russians, were fairly confident this was impossible. But when he lifted the weight, there was a dead silence for 10 full seconds. Then the crowd erupted in applause. Anderson was... Uh, Went to the 56 Olympics, severe inner earache, 103 degree temperature. He had three ties, the first two he was not able to fulfill, but on the third he prayed. Later he said, I wasn't making a deal with God, I just simply asked for more strength than I needed help. And he set a new Olympic world record. He won the gold, committed his life to Christ and began to Toured the country, making 500 appearances a year, traveled over 3 million miles, telling people about Jesus, showing feats of strength, and raising money for the Paul Anderson Youth Home in Vidalia, Georgia. He set multiple records, including backlifting off the ground, a table loaded with calibrated weight of 6,270 pounds, which according to the Guinness Book of World Records is still the most ever lifted by a human being, making Paul Anderson still... The strongest man who ever lived. Samson was not available for comment. Wherever Paul Anderson spoke, he always concluded with these words. If the strongest man in the world can't get through one day without the power of Jesus Christ, where does that leave you? We come today and we remember what Christ has done. Even in this Old Testament story, we know that it points to Jesus we know it points to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who left the throne room of heaven in order to come and live amongst us for the mission and the purpose of giving His life for us, dying in our place, 
as the innocent one who took our sins to the cross. And so we ask you at this time to begin to prepare to take the Lord's Supper. We've been preparing all of this time, but we're told not to partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. So today as we partake, even now, we're going to have prayer in just a moment. We're asking you you today uh, to confess all sins in your life. Be sure that uh, your heart is right and you're in right fellowship with the Lord Jesus. We invite all uh, genuine believers to partake, even if you're a guest today, we invite you to partake of the Lord's Supper today. And also we want to think about the future. We want to commit ourselves to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as well. Let's now spend a moment in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We thank you so much for this opportunity to come and be a part of this worship service. We pray, Father, for these in this room, those who are watching online, and Father, we pray that even now you might continue to prepare our hearts. We come confessing our sins before you, knowing that we are inadequate and undeserving of God's grace. We thank you in the definition of grace. It is a free gift that is given to us, so we confess our sins. We also want to commit ourselves to you knowing that uh, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, you've called us to bear fruit. We pray, Father, that that may be the case. We might bear fruit in uh, ministry to others, sharing the love of, of Jesus and telling people the good news of the gospel. We thank you for this gift that you have given us as we celebrate the body and the blood of Jesus. We lift these prayers up in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Having used these cups, we want to be careful in how we do these today. If you, uh, if you spill these, please don't worry about that. We'll take care of that. We notice that there are two flaps. You want to now take off the first flap or peel that back. You can leave that on. We have the wafer before us. We remember that on the night before Jesus was crucified, that he was in the upper room with his disciples. And when the bread was passed, he said, this is my body, which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You see that there is a second tab that is there. And if... Some are more difficult than others. So if you're having difficulty with one, put that down, grab another one. It will be okay. And you want to peel that back. It was after the supper that the cup was being passed. When Jesus said, let this cup be a remembrance of my blood, which was shed for you. Do this in remembrance for me. <clears throat> for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. <clears throat> 